Barney and Friends. Barney Simon. Jacaranda FM. And it was it was a very uh, intense experience. You know, I I had never really um, been on that level before. I'd never uh, worked with someone who had won three Grammys, for example. <laughs> and um, he he was it was a very challenging experience working with him because he's a very intense guy and he's not there to have fun or to be sociable or any of that stuff. He's there to to make music. It's a very serious job and it's a very intense thing being in the studio. You know, it's a very special place to be and you don't you don't disrespect it, you know. So that was the kind of vibe that I got. Um very uncomfortable. <laughs> well I can imagine. And did he did he, did he say to you, no what, on that album, how many takes did you do? There must be one song where you've done like more than five uh, hundreds, takes. <laughs> man. I mean, he was a real perfectionist. You know, it, it was that uh, absolute disciplined approach to and meticulous approach to studio. You know, you you play the same part twenty times, and for some reason he'll just say that's the part, that's the one, that's the take, and you can't hear a difference at all. It's you played it the same twenty times. Uh, so he just had these. The he had he had an ear for capturing the take and capturing the emotion um you know he he and he, he was very uh he allowed me to be um much more alternative than i than i'd used than i'd used to be you know he, he'd worked with some very alternative bands so he was totally in that headspace and he liked challenging music so i was i was very inspiring for me because i could really just flex my muscles you know i could do what i wanted to do and what was it like, um, you know, did, you got a bit of sleep and then you had to be back at the studio the next day? Because, I mean, you, as you say, three months. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was living… It sounds like a long time, but… Uh, well. It was a long time, man. I mean, I was living… Um, I was living at Danny's place, at her, at her folks' place, and basically taking the subway in to town uh, with guitars and stuff, backpacks and laptops and stuff, going in, on the subway into town… Doing the record, and we recorded the album in four different studios. Some of them were not even in Toronto; they were Mississauga, which is a a city, like neighboring city. So, you know, it's like three hours on the subway every morning, and three hours coming home for a month. You know, <laughs> and, and then having to be creative and working. So it was very intense. The uh, the studios that they have there. If you, I mean, you've worked in a lot of studios in this country as well, but. Uh uh, as you say, it's his home studio, but yeah. uh, the the, the well, latest we, equipment and uh, yeah, you, you know a lot of different studios. I mean, we but- worked. We worked. Uh, the majority of the, the the album was done in his small studio at home, um, but the we did we tracked the drums and the bass guitars and the rhythm section in a very big studio. It's called Metalworks. I think it's one of the biggest studios in North America, and I mean the bands that have recorded there, unbelievable. I mean they've got these these platinum selling plaques on the wall of like Prince, Michael Jackson, uh, you know. Um, Tracy DC recorded there. As yeah, well, everyone. I mean, it's just yeah. it's it's one of those legendary studios, you know. So we we did a a, a, a few weeks there, which was very cool. Um, and we did we went to this very special uh, piano tracking studio, which just does pianos. It's just a room with thirty grand pianos, and you just choose which one you want, and they mic it up with their special mics, and then you you, you do that. So yeah, I really got to see some. I got to see the some of the really cool sides of the industry in terms of just the, the technical and the, and the gear and the legendary rooms that some of these artists have, have performed in and, and written their, their songs in. So, but I think that, that the, the, the age of the, of the legendary studio is dying now because everyone can just do it on their laptop, you know, mm. so you can kind of get the same results, which is quite sad. Um, and no one can afford those studios either. So 
I was very lucky. I got some sneaky deals via Bottrell. <laughs> Have you seen the, uh, the Sound City? Yes. The, the documentary. I watched Dave it with Grohl. Bottrell, actually. He, oh, really? He, he recorded in that studio. Wow. Um, he's recorded, he recorded two bands in that studio, two full albums. So he, I went to watch it with him in Toronto, and he was telling me all the stories about the engineers who are interviewed, and he's worked with them, and he still works with some of them. So, yeah, I, it, was a, it was a really cool experience to actually watch it with Bottrell. Did you feel at any stage while you were recording... <sighs> You know, this is not the way, this is not the direction <laughs> I want to go into. These American Canadians are, they want to, you know, th- this manufactured stuff and this is not me. There must have been a stage while you were recording, you wanted to just go home and walk out. Yeah, there, there, there definitely were moments like that. I think you have those moments in every album where you, where you, 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 you go in a certain direction because the demos are so rough and you can take them in any direction. You know, it's basically just the basic song. It's, it's guitar, voice and a little drum loop whatever it is and you know that the, the, the possibilities are endless and when you finally commit to that one direction that you're going uh it's a scary i don't decision. want to hear that on the show please. <laughs> when you commit to when you commit to sounding like one direction you I, regret I that i heard you i heard you opening for them <laughs> oh, sorry no, they're thanks. opening for jesse clegg <laughs> yeah okay. um so, so yeah it's definitely uh, a scary decision to make and you 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 always regret it i mean it never it it you you never have an album where you like every single song. You know, there's always one or two songs that you kind of, after the fact, think you could have done it differently. Or it's 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 like anything. You never finish an album. You just have to abandon it eventually because you run out of money and time. You know. <laughs> what was touring like in America for you? Uh, you know, obviously a new name. Nobody knows who mm. the hell you were. You had to get. Was it tough to get radio play, and then uh, to get your name out there? Or did you uh, play at all the big festivals? I, I think a good. Uh, concept is to open up for all the big bands they're pulling mm. the big crowd already and then you go in there and you play early in the afternoon and you blow everybody yeah. away i mean that's a nice way of getting in I yeah i mean that that was the idea with playing isle of Wight, which we did last year um you know touring in the states is a very um i started out playing showcase festivals in new york basically they have festivals where new bands can play and get exposure there's lots of media there's lots of venues that are that are part of the festival and you play i did about 10 of those um, back to back, you know, I spent a few months in New York playing as many festivals and going to as many conferences and meeting as many contacts that I possibly could. Um, and you know, it's 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 a weird thing because you you know you're always playing to an unknown audience in the states. Uh, well, I am. I don't know. Some people are very lucky, um, but you know, you, you realize that it's really a building process. It takes ten years to build up a, a proper career internationally to to start building things in different territories. And um, the key is to just keep doing it. You know, you just have to keep pushing and keep mm. playing. Play as many shows as you can for as many different people in as many different territories. Uh, and that's that's really, I think, that's something that I think I achieved pretty well last year. I mean, we did a lot, a lot of, lot of different states. We did Europe. We did a, a huge amount of shows in South Africa. Um, so it was really just quantity. You know, going for as many different markets as possible. At the end of the day, it's that one song yeah, that the whole 100%. world will listen to, George Ezra Budapest. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if, I listen, if I listen to that song, I listen to both your albums yeah. and uh, this acoustic thing. I mean, he doesn't come near what you've done there, but it takes – can you imagine? Yeah. That one, which song do you think – that you've written is the one that mm. one, one day everybody will, it'll, you'll be a household name because of that one song. But also, you don't want that. You don't want to be a one-hit wonder, do you now? 
Well, I think in today's market, it's it's a it's a singles market rather than an album market. Very few people still listen to full albums. You know, people can buy a single of iTunes and they make a playlist of their favorite singles mm. from millions of different artists. You know, so it really is more than ever that one song. Um, and you know, I I hope that that one song uh, I haven't written it yet. I hope I'm still yet to write it. Um, and it, you know, you never know what's going to work. It's, it's. It, I think the key is, as a, if if I could give any advice to to any songwriters out there, is just to keep writing, keep performing, keep playing, and write as much as you can in as many different styles and challenge yourself. You know, just don't mm. don't keep writing the same song. You know, a lot of artists kind of have a bit of success and they keep doing that for as long as they possibly can. Just mix it up. Challenge yourself. You're not going to do any Nickelback covers, are you? <laughs> no, my girlfriend will kill me. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, you know, maybe. And actually, you... Nickelback is Canadian, and, and my girlfriend hates them. So okay. there you go. <laughs> a lot of people. But I was the first, and I'm not lying to you. You were the first person to, to hate Nickelback. I no, no, it. no, to play Nickelback uh. on radio. <laughs> Once again, their first two albums, nobody bothered, and I played it on the show that I did in the evening because they were. The first two albums, quite a hard, hard rock. And mm. then uh, How You Remind Me came out, and I was sitting in, in my uh, room, my record room. My wife walked past, and she stopped. She said, what was that? I mean, that's when I, when I heard that song the first time, it was amazing because it starts with vocals. Yeah. It's unusual, you know mm. what I mean? Look, that is a brilliantly mm. written song. I it mean, is. my girlfriend will kill me, but it is a very, very brilliantly written song. And I must say, I did buy that album, and mm. I did listen to it. I mean, as far as commercial songwriting goes – it's it's undeniable, and and the guitar riffs. I mean, it, it's like ACDC in a way. I mean, not you, I'm not comparing mm. ACDC mm. with, uh, but ACDC uh, since the '80s, they haven't changed their sound. I yeah. mean, their their riffs are there, and they all sound the same, but in a different style. You know, it's exactly. amazing what they've done. Yeah, well, they they coined that sound, man. Mm. I mean, it's you know, but within that, they've still got some you know very experimental songwriting. You know, you can find your sound, but within the context of that concept you can you can explore it you know you can really push your own boundaries so i'm just saying that i like artists like radiohead for example mm. who really mix it up you know they're not afraid they'll do what they want to do and alienate their fan base if, if that's what it takes you know so i, I think that there's a, a very s special kind of courage a true artist will do what he wants like uh, frank zappa yeah <laughs> brilliant now um there's one guy that became more famous in australia and south africa and in America, yes, Rodriguez, and also, I mean, I was in the army when I used to listen to Rodriguez, and he, his music, his songwriting mm. inspired us as well. There's great songwriting. The, the, the music school, it's there, it's very psychedelic, but I tell you, the words, I mean, mm. lyrics, amazing. Eh? I mean, that's that. You asked me earlier what music I listened to growing up. That was, a, I mean, I listened to that album from from day one, basically. Cold fact. Wow, yeah. what we've, a classic. We've all got a copy of that. I actually don't want to talk. I want to listen to the whole CD. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's awesome. Like, just put the CD in like the old days. And then um, let it play. Then go and pass out in the studio in the <laughs> yeah. corner like the old days. And hey, I'm going to play some Led Zeppelin for you from vinyl. I'll be back in half an hour with the gaps <laughs> yeah. in between. You know, so, <laughs> those let are the play. days. So uh, Rodriguez, uh, you know, while that song was playing, you told me a lucky story mm. about these uh, brilliant yeah. musicians. Do you want to? I, yeah, I think it's I'll, such a great story. You have to tell us a story again um, that you heard. So I was in I was in the states um, last year, and I. Uh, I was backstage at one of the venues and um, the promoter had recently promoted Rodriguez on his massive comeback tour after the documentary was released and won an Oscar. And he was playing massive venues, Radio City Music Hall, Glastonbury Festival.
Barney and Friends. Barney Simon.